am I allowed to call her a bad Yes, absolutely. <laughs> She's a total bad Hello everyone, and welcome to the first episode of A New Perspective. This podcast comes to you from the Northeastern Political Review, the only undergraduate political magazine on campus. Our goal is to empower the voices of students with a variety of backgrounds and interests to write about what they're passionate about. Our magazine is entirely student-written, edited, and designed. My name is Brian Bonnet. I'm a third-year political science major and NUPER's first podcast director, and I will be your host as Nuper attempts to jump into the podcasting arena. Uh, so today, I'm sitting down with Alex Jarecki, nailed it, uh, to talk about the Supreme Court and some major cases that are going to be decided this year. Uh, so, Alex, how are you today? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm, um, well, it's a Saturday, so I'm <laughs> extremely tired. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so you wrote an article for the Political Review titled, Legally Sanctioned Discrimination, the Supreme Court Case, and LGBT Employees' Rights. Um, So it's a case regarding Title VII, um, and so it's made its way to the Supreme Court. And so if you could, just to start, uh, in case anyone doesn't know, just talk about what Title VII is and, um, and why it's important. Yeah, so this is Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which uh, bans employment discrimination on the basis of religion, race, and sex. So the question in these cases is on the basis of sex. All right, so um, before we get into, like, the actual um, decision and what the ramifications of that could be, um, what is being asked of the court? You know, how how do we get to this place? Yeah, so the main question in these cases is whether gender identity and sexual orientation are protected under Title VII. Mm-hmm. So basically, can you legally fire someone for being LGBT? Okay, so you said cases, so there's multiple. Yeah, so there's three cases. Um, two of them were consolidated into one because they both refer to uh, sexual orientation, and then one is about gender identity. Okay, and so uh, what happened to these people? Yeah. So the two cases for sexual orientation, the first one is um, the case Altitude Express versus Zarda. Um, So the sort of overview is Donald Zarda was an employee for, uh, he was a skydiving instructor Mm -hmm. with Altitude Express. um, And he was, a female client accused him of touching her inappropriately um, during a jump. Mm -hmm. And he uh, claimed that he denied the accusations and he said, uh, that he had been fired on the basis of his sexuality because, um, because like as a gay man, he would often like tell female clients, like inform them that he was gay so that they wouldn't feel like uncomfortable. Okay. So, um, in like one of these situations, a woman accused him of touching her inappropriately. He denied it, said the, uh, his employer fired him purely for being gay. Uh, so the ACLU is arguing on his behalf because he unfortunately died a few years ago in a skydiving incident. Oh, wow. Um, so then the second case that relates to sexual orientation is Bostock versus Clayton County, which is Clayton County, Georgia. Um, so Gerald Bostock, he was a child welfare services coordinator in Clayton County. Um, he was fired by the county shortly after he joined a gay softball league. Um, and like, Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So he joined a gay softball league, and then he was fired by the county for conduct unbecoming of its employees. So obviously he filed a lawsuit. Um, 
So his lawsuit was initially dismissed on like procedural grounds, but it was eventually like appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court. Uh, so those are the two sexual orientation cases, and they were consolidated into like one set of oral arguments. Okay, um, that makes sense. Yeah. So then the gender identity case is Harris Funeral Homes versus Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Uh, the background on this is Amy Stevens was fired from her job at Harris Funeral Homes in Michigan after coming out as transgender and uh, like informing her employer and her coworkers that she would beginning be beginning to medically transition. She was fired after this, and she filed a complaint with the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission, who sued on her behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, so they sued in Michigan, which ruled in favor of the employer. Um, they appealed it to the Sixth Circuit, which reversed the decision, and then the funeral home then appealed it to the Supreme Court. So the basic argument, if I'm understanding it properly, is that these people, both in both the uh, gender identity and uh, sexual orientation case, are saying that uh, you're firing me or treating me different because of my sex. Yeah. So in the sexual orientation cases, if I was a woman who was saying that I was attracted to men, you wouldn't be firing me. Yeah. And then on the other side, obviously gender identity, that's just like firing them because of who they yeah. are. So uh, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, that's okay. exactly it. So one of the things that you do in the article is uh, you frame this case uh, to be coming at a time when LGBT people's rights are under attack. And so you list actions taken by the Trump administration, uh, including removing protection for trans students, uh, removing questions regarding gender identity and sexual orientation from the census, uh, the proposed ban on trans people in the military, uh, and their opposition to the Equality Act. Um, This is all happening at a time when hate crimes have gone up in the last few years, especially against trans people. And so do you think that that's a coincidence you know i i think you you do a great job framing the article um that you know the administration is openly hostile towards queer people and that this lawsuit is coming about at the same time like do are all these things connected in your mind yeah i think it's definitely like not a coincidence that it's sort of all coming to a head right now um and you can look at like hate crime statistics for the past few years like all like sorts of hate crimes are on the rise like on the basis of race on the basis of religion Mm -hmm. like you look at um in 2017, anti-Muslim assaults were the highest that they've been since, like, right after 9-11. Yeah, that's what I would have guessed. Yeah. So, like, you're looking at all sorts of hate crimes, like, on the rise. And I think it's a lot to do with, like, Donald Trump being in office and the fact that his words and his actions embolden people to act out in ways that maybe they wouldn't have before. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, just, like, it tells people, like, oh, the president's saying these terrible things about women, about immigrants, about Muslims, about gay and trans people, so it's okay if I do it. Right, so, it's, it's normalizing it. Yeah, it's normalizing it. And, like, if you look at, like, the Human Rights Campaign has on their website just, a, like, a scrolling list. It's pages long of, like, all of the actions that the Trump administration has taken against minorities. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can, like, look at it, like, you can filter it by specific like categories and like you look at they have a category for like transgender issues and it still like it goes on for pages right so it's like looking at just just over the past couple of years that all of these horrible things have happened so uh later on in the piece at one point you say that this ruling could um have an impact not only on queer people but even extending further to straight and cis people so you say 
quote, if an employer can fire a transgender man for not conforming to sex stereotypes, what is to stop that employer from firing a straight cisgendered woman who decides to cut her hair short? Um, so do you actually believe that's something that is realistic? Because, um, you know, it seems like most of the fire in this case is going at gay and trans people. Yeah, I don't know, like, maybe not necessarily, like, realistic, like, that specific circumstance, but I think it sort of frames, like, how ridiculous this decision could be Mm -hmm. in saying, like, if you say that it's okay to fire a transgender woman because she doesn't conform to sex stereotypes, then you're basically saying it's okay to fire anyone. For not conforming conforming. to any stereotype. So the Harris case, the funeral homes with Amy Stevens, refers back to this 1989 case of Pricewaterhouse versus Hopkins, Mm -hmm. which determined that gender stereotyping classifies as discrimination underneath Title VII. So it's saying, like, you can't fire a woman for wearing pants to work because you think she should be wearing a skirt. Mm -hmm. So, like, stuff like that. And that goes back to this decision. So the precedent is saying, like, like, gender stereotypes, sex stereotypes qualify as gender discrimination. Um, So it's like, if you're saying that a trans person has to conform to your specific sex stereotypes, that also should fall underneath gender stereotyping. Yeah, I mean... On its face, like, the arguments make sense, um, and and I think you're right to point out that, like, a ruling against would be, like, sort of just blatantly ridiculous. Yeah, so, and it's also, I was sort of using it, like, in the article as a way to, like, reach out to people who may not be, mm-hmm. like, in the LGBT community who think, oh, this will never affect me, and sort of saying, like, no, something that affects one specific group of people is going to spread and it's going to affect everybody in some way. Right, and I think it's also, you know, especially with a case like this, it's a signal because if the Supreme Court is willing to, you know, deny protections to um, gay and trans people, like, that doesn't really give me a lot of confidence that they're going to be protecting you know, women's right to abortion and other things like that that yeah. are extremely important to so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, so your article came out before oral arguments were heard of the case, so you obviously couldn't talk about it then. Um, but the justices did hear the case a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I was just wondering if you could tell me anything about what happened at oral arguments, if anything surprising, or just generally how it went. Yeah, so the arguments in favor of the employees are sort of based on the precedent that the phrasing on the basis of sex does include gender identity and sexual orientation, mm-hmm. which is sort of how like everybody's operated in the past. Like Most people aren't going to fire somebody for being gay because they recognize that's a form of discrimination. Right. Um, so there was one, there's a quote from the decision from the Sixth Circuit that decided the Stevens case in her favor that I thought sort of summed it up really nicely, which is, it is analytically impossible to fire an employee based on that employee's status as a transgender person without being motivated, at least in part, by the employee's sex. So I think that sort of sums up what the arguments in the favor of employees are, because if you look at, like, the sexual orientation cases, like Zardo and Bostock would not have been fired if they were men attracted to women, and they would not have been fired if they were women declaring that they were attracted to men. Right. So like, you have to take into account their sex, they're both men. Um, and then same thing for Stevens, where she's being treated differently because of her sex assigned at birth. Mm-hmm. So you, like, you literally cannot make that decision without taking into account the fact that she's transgender. And so what are the employers even saying? Like, how do they even justify this? Um, So basically justification is they're saying, like, Title VII doesn't cover LGBT identities. They're saying it's just specifically sex. It Mm -hmm. doesn't count for sexual orientation. It doesn't count for gender identity. Um, 
so sort of the argument is like taking Title Seven very literally right. and just saying it only prohibits employers from treating one sex worse or better than the other. It's a very literal reading of yeah. it, saying because the statute was written to just say on the basis of sex that, you know, in the 50 years since it's been passed that our understanding of what that means hasn't changed. Yeah, so, like, another part of the argument in favor of the employees is saying Title Seven has been sort of, like, quote-unquote, reinterpreted before. Mm-hmm. Like, they've made decisions, like, sexual harassment, as we understand it now, would not have been covered under Title Seven when Title Seven was written. Right. So it's saying, like, it's been, like, reinterpreted before. We've changed our how society views it before, so it's really not making a difference now. And, like, uh, going back to the Price Waterhouse case, the ruling that, like, about gender stereotyping also determined that an employer, like, it doesn't fall under Title Seven if the employer can prove that they would have made the same decision in the absence of, like, that individual's identity. Mm-hmm. So if you're saying, like, oh, I fired this woman, but it, I would have fired her for this specific reason, whether or not she was a woman or If a she man. was a woman or a man. Yeah. So, um... It's saying, so that's, like, part of the Pricewaterhouse case, too. So what? From one of those cases, like... So the (laughs) argument... This is the employer in the Harris Funeral Homes case didn't even deny the fact that he had fired Amy Stevens for being transgender. He said, like, pretty much explicitly, like, this was the reason that she was fired. But he argues that it isn't illegal because he would have fired a trans man for the same reason. So he's saying, like, because I would have treated either case the same way, right. it's not illegal for me to fire Amy Stevens. Oh, my God. That's that's their argument there. And I just, it's just, like, so ridiculous to think, like, if a, like going back to the, the one who was fired for joining a softball league. Yeah. Like, that's, that's outside of work. That's completely not related to your job. Yeah. And so it's... It's literally what they're trying to do is drag stuff into, you know, like saying that their conduct outside of work is suddenly cause for firing. Yeah. And I think it sort of goes back to like, you know, this conservative argument of like, oh, like what happens in your bedroom isn't any of my business or whatever. But like then you're taking that and saying how you live your life outside of work directly impacts your work and therefore like you can be fired for it which yeah i don't know i've never i don't think i've ever been in a job and been like hmm like i'm doing this job differently because i'm bisexual like that's never that's no. why, and yeah. like my employer never like gives me work and is like you'll be good at this because because <laughs> you're bi like that's not something that happens like no it, ah, yeah <laughs> it's just so frustrating to to like hear it vocalized because it's just so ridiculous yeah, at a certain point like when somebody like explains it out loud it's like you don't it's hard for me to understand how anybody could rule in favor of the employers just because the arguments are so ridiculous when you like get down to what they're actually saying. Yeah. Because basically like the argument against Amy Stevens is based on the fact that like they believe that trans people don't exist. Like they it's this belief that you know like women and men are inherently biologically different and therefore like you can treat them differently based on that. And that's also um, like the Trump administration, like the Department of Justice under the Trump administration fire, filed briefs in favor of the employers in all three of the cases, mm-hmm. like arguing men and women are inherently different and therefore it's okay that they're treated differently, which 
So, yeah, it's, like, this belief that, like, oh, like, it's okay that we fired you because, like, you're biologically a man and, like, transgender people don't exist. Right. So, so we, can't, we can't be in We the can't wrong. discriminate you yeah. because your identity doesn't, isn't exactly. real. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it seems, so it's speaking about ruling, um, so the outcome of the case will be decided in uh, a couple months. Yeah. Uh, so during arguments, basically it, it's coming down to the fact that there's currently four liberal justices and five conservative justices. So if this case is going to go in favor of the employees, one of the conservative justices is going to have to switch over to the liberal side. Yeah. And so um, Justice Gorsuch actually might be the conservative justice most willing to switch his vote based on oral arguments. Um, And he's one of Trump's appointees. Does that surprise you? Yeah, I think like on its face, it is sort of surprising to know like a man that Donald Trump appointed could be ruling in favor of like progressive, like liberal ideals. But I know like people have been saying he might be the swing vote because he was like he seems sympathetic to the employees, um, and then also the fact that he has like for a long time been considered like a textualist, so he's more concerned about how the laws are written mm-hmm. than like how they are interpreted. Um, but then also like during the oral arguments, he had a question about the massive social upheaval that would result from ruling in favor of the employees. That was one of his questions for. Um, the people in favor of the employees saying like what would happen to society if we ruled in favor of the employees um so that doesn't give me much confidence right but um so how many years has it been since obergefell like are, is the planet not burning <laughs> i mean it is but not because it, not because yeah. gay people are getting married no. in america yeah and like the attorney arguing for the employees said this wouldn't be a social upheaval. This would be upholding societal norms because the precedent is that gender identity and sexual orientation are protected. Yeah, not just so, the legal precedent, but, like, societally. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, gay marriage is in the high 60s for, like, approval. Like, people are now understanding that queer people exist everywhere in their yeah. lives, even if they didn't know it, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, And I especially, I think, young people, like... I don't know about your experiences on campus, but I've just <laughs> never had anyone, you know, treat me disrespectfully because of my sexual orientation on campus. Yeah, I definitely, like, I come from a conservative area mm-hmm. of the country, a conservative high school, and so, but, like, my transition to college, it was, like, a breath of fresh air. It was, like, suddenly, like, I could be, like, openly gay and not have to worry about what people would think of me. Right. It's sort of, like, the fact that, like, I have, like, a pride flag, like, keychain on my backpack and, like, knowing that I can, like, walk around campus without having to be worried about that. Yeah. Versus, like, when I go home, like, I immediately, like, like as soon as my plane lands, I immediately feel, like, not as comfortable having that on my backpack. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of, like, coming to, and I, I know, like, we're sort of in a privileged position being at a college that is so, like, liberal. In a liberal open, city. In a liberal city and a liberal state, mm-hmm. like, on a coast. Like, we definitely have, like, the privilege there. But, like, overall, like, definitely, like, our generation is a lot more accepting, understanding of queer identities and more willing to just be, like, I don't care what you do. Like, your identity is your identity. Right. It doesn't affect and me. And I think that also is, you know, another reason why this case is 
actually like up in the air and not just like clearly decided is because the nature of the Supreme Court is that a lot of the justices are are old. Yeah. You know, like a lot of them are in their 60s or 70s or 80s. And, you know, even Gorsuch, who's one of the younger ones, is still 50 something, I think. Yeah. And, you know, there's a big generational gap between, you know, 50 year olds and 20 year olds. Like they grew up in a completely different society and that affected their legal views. You know, I'm not not a defense of them. It's just a fact. And so, you know, I think if we had nine 30-year-olds deciding this case, it would be a little bit different. Yeah, but I think, like, the generational gap is definitely, I think, more evident in, like, politics. Mm -hmm. Like, definitely, like, older politicians tend to be more, like, conservative, whereas, like, even, like, the general public, like, my grandma is a 70-something-year-old Catholic woman from Alabama, and... When I came out, I was, like, worried. Like, I knew she wouldn't, like, disown me or anything, but I was worried that, like, it might take her some time. And it did, like, take her a little bit of time to adjust, but, like, she is one of my biggest supporters. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, knowing, like, somebody, like, her age with her upbringing can still be, like, so open-minded. So it's really frustrating to know, like, oh, like, these people on, like, the justices on the Supreme Court, like, they're too old to, like, understand how, like, society changes. But it's, like they shouldn't be do you think so a a lot of um like the political science theory about why gay marriage came about so quickly was that um you know once massachusetts legalized marriage and like society didn't fall apart and people started coming out more to their families who you know before might have been um anti-gay marriage Mm -hmm. they sort of just realized that all these people that they knew and already cared about were queer. And so that, like, personal connection is something that helped change their mind. Do you think maybe, yeah. um, it's just speculation at this point, really, but, you know, maybe those justices live in such an isolated world that they haven't had those experiences? Yeah, I think that's definitely, like, a common thing for a lot of people, where it's like you just they don't think about it because they think it doesn't affect their lives. Mm -hmm. Even though, like, chances are that they know somebody who, like, whether they're closeted or whether they're just, like, not out to that specific person, like, they're queer and just haven't, like, shared that information. But it's, like, chance, like, if you live, like, in America or really, like, anywhere, like, chances are you know somebody who is LGBT. Yeah. Like... Whether you know it or not. Whether you know it or not. And so I think, like, that definitely is a big part of, like, how people come to the point of acceptance. Like, I know, like, a lot of families who, like, before, like, their kid came out as gay, like, they weren't supportive. But then their kid came out, and suddenly, like, it affects them. It affects their child's life. So they become, like, more open to it and more understanding. I think, famously, Dick Cheney. Um, his daughter came out as mm-hmm. as lesbian, and that, like, completely changed his view on yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you know, Dick Cheney's not the best person, but, but it, that, that idea of, if like... If Dick Cheney can change his mind, who can't? Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to hear your prediction. What do you think is going to happen? I'm... I wish that I could be cautiously optimistic, but I tend to be more pessimistic about stuff like this. Mm-hmm. With, like, the 5-4 conservative majority, I'm not confident enough that any of the conservative justi- just justices would be willing to switch over to vote to protect LGBT people. Mm -hmm. 
Like, I wish that I could say, oh, like, I bet one of, like, the conservatives is going to vote in favor of LGBT rights, but I just don't have, like, I just can't be confident about that. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I think I agree with you. I, I don't see it happening. I think, honestly, what wouldn't, like, what wouldn't surprise me is if they split the two cases and Gorsuch ruled in favor of the of the trans woman actually, and not the gay people. Really? Because so he he takes law so literally, all in his mind, on the basis of sex, that can include your your gender identity, yeah. and so, um, you know, whereas sexual orientation to him is probably a whole separate thing, and he. You know, this is just me speculating yeah. on his ideology, but I could see a, a realistic scenario where he rules in favor of Amy Stevens and then against the gay men. That's, yeah. Now that, like, you've articulated that, that makes sense, sort of, if you're looking at the fact that he takes it so literally. That yeah. definitely... I think... I definitely think the arg- that argument in Stevens' case is a little bit stronger just because, like, gender identity and sex are so, like... Like, they go together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, like, sexual orientation definitely could be considered a little bit more ambiguous in that case. But, yeah, I think that could be a possibility, I, I guess. I mean, like, I think it could be a possibility. I'm not sure how much I think it'll actually happen. Yeah, I feel like that could be a possibility, but it's just, like, it's more likely that they all vote one way or the other, right. unfortunately. Right. Unfortunately. All right, so... One last thing on this topic. Um, another case that the the court is hearing this term is regarding the hiring and firing um, that religious institutions can do. Um, so the case is specifically about whether a Catholic school can essentially ignore civil rights laws um, because religious institutions should have greater power over who is teaching their faith. Um, so this one isn't about queer people. I think it's a it's an age discrimination case. Um, but basically, they're looking for an exemption to civil rights laws. And, you know, this is similar. Uh, a couple years ago, there was a case called Hobby Lobby, where the court ruled that companies could deny health coverage for contraceptives like birth control um, if their owner had religious objections. So even, so Hobby Lobby is like a, I think it's like a hardware store, like, it's like um, arts and crafts. And- yeah. Uh, and, you know, not a religious institution, just yeah. like a, a regular store. Mm-hmm. But their owner has these objections and the court granted them an exemption. So, you know, we're seeing this trend that it's the court is becoming maybe more sympathetic to granting these exemptions based on, you know, religious beliefs and First Amendment grounds. And so, you know, even if the court rules for the employees and, you know, the outcome that at least me and you want happens, mm-hmm. it sort of seems like they're on this trend of carving out these religious exemptions. You know, you think about the the Masterpiece Cake Shop um, yeah. case that was a couple years ago. Um, you know, basically a baker saying, I don't want to bake a cake for a gay wedding. And, you know, that the law, the, the rulings they've had so far have been sort of ambiguous on that. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm starting to worry that, like, even if, you know, 
civil rights laws and rulings are passed, they're still under threat from this idea that religion should override someone's, you know, access to, like, public stores. Yeah. Does that, like, am I crazy for thinking this? Like, what... No, I I think that, like, it makes a lot of sense, and it's honestly terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, like, speaking as somebody who went to a Catholic school, like, I've had experience with people making these arguments, like, uh, like, specifically regards to the cake, like, about the gay wedding cake. I was in, in one of my classes, I had to listen to my teacher and my classmates literally compare a baker refusing to make a gay wedding cake to a uh, Jewish baker refusing to make a cake with Nazi imagery or to a black baker refusing to make a cake for the KKK. This, this, they literally made those arguments in class. And, like, it, and I was just sitting there because I, like, in high school was the only queer kid in that class and I was deeply closeted. So I didn't want to speak up and, like, out myself. But I had to, like, sit there and listen to them say those things. And then... I also had to listen, we were discussing um, gay marriage, which is always a mistake, (laughs) but I had my teacher, and this was a teacher who was otherwise, like, fairly, like, liberal, very Mm -hmm. open-minded, who the class, like, he led in comparing being gay to incest, and was saying, well, if you are saying, like, we gave lists of, like, what qualifies for, like, love, what qualifies to be, like, married. And he was like, okay, all of these qualifications that you listed for a gay couple can also apply to a, to siblings. <sighs> so I had to sit and listen to them go through this. And I had to listen to, like, you know, people say, like, oh, like, I don't have a problem with it. But, like, if I was walking, I saw, like there were two guys holding hands, I wouldn't want my kids to see that. I was like, first of all, you're 17, you don't have kids to see that yet. (laughs) But, so, I went through these things, like, in high school before I could really, like, speak my mind about them, and Mm -hmm. knowing that people think these things... Especially in religious spaces. My high school, we made national headlines for firing a gay softball coach. This was another thing, the list of things that I could talk about from this school is endless. (laughs) Um... But so there was, they didn't explicitly fire her, but basically uh, she was, they knew that she was gay, um, but it was sort of like treated as like, just don't talk about it. Like if nobody brings it up, it's fine. Don't ask, don't tell. Exactly. Like that. But um, the sort of, it came when she and her girlfriend were planning to get married. And so basically the school said, either you can get married or you can continue coaching here. They didn't, so they didn't explicitly fire her, but they told her, if you get married, you can't come back. And so obviously she left. Right. um, So our school made national headlines for that. Like, I know we uh, made it onto a Seth Meyers segment. Like, it was just, so like going through things like this and knowing they, like the idea that like there were no repercussions because we're a private Catholic school. So Mm -hmm. like we can't. We can't exactly, like, sue the school because religious exemptions or, like, they have the right to say that, like, they won't hire a gay teacher. Right. So, like, knowing, like, this could happen, like, this happened in, like, one specific school in, like, one specific place, but, like, it's also happening nationwide. Mm -hmm. Where it's, like, these religious institutions are saying we should be exempt from these laws. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, to just get a little bit, like, 
you know, focusing on, like, the politics of the court, I think Chief Justice Roberts is, who is very conservative, Mm -hmm. but he also is extremely worried about the court's image and their legitimacy. So I think a lot of what he is going to be doing is trying to move the court to the right and in a more conservative way, but without explicitly, you know, getting rid of, like, wholesale protections, you know? Like, I don't see them, you know, overturning Roe v. Wade or Obergefell, like, nothing drastic, but finding ways to marginally, in ways that people might not notice, move the court in a more conservative direction. Sort of, like, carve out, like, exceptions Mm -hmm. where, like, you can... Yeah, I think, especially when it comes to religious exemptions, it's sort of a slippery slope. Because, like, you talk about, like, I don't... Obviously, we shouldn't be able to, like, require, like, certain businesses. Like, if you... If your religion has a certain, like, dietary restriction, you shouldn't, like, be forced to, like, sell food that falls into that category. Mm -hmm. Or, like, if you have to take a certain day off for a religious holiday, like, that should be fine, too. But when it comes to religion saying, like, using it as an excuse for discrimination right to infringe on another person's liberty exactly and like i think that's a lot more dangerous and it could get a lot worse yeah like especially because like religion is something that obviously is very central to a lot of people's identities but overall it's something that isn't permanent necessarily like it's something about you that you can change it's something that like you might have like sort of, like, inherited it from your parents and from your grandparents, but, like, you Or maybe you didn't inherit it, and then you find religion later in life. Yeah, so it's something that isn't, like, sort of inherent to your identity, whereas they're trying to discriminate against people for something that is. They're trying to discriminate against people for their race, for their gender identity, for their sexual orientation, which are all inherent parts of your identity that can't be changed. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of, like, this idea that, like, they're saying, like, oh... I can't serve you because your identity is against my religion. Yeah. It's like... Well, and that's where it starts to get dangerous. Yeah. And I think... And then when we're looking back at, like, specifically with regards to, like, the gay marriage case, it's like, it's fine for the Catholic Church to say gay marriage does not fit our definition of marriage. Saying, like, a gay couple can't get married in a Catholic church and have it be binding in the Catholic church. Right. But for them to say that the legal definition should follow their definition is, like, a line that can't be crossed. So, like, when it gets into that, where it's trying to say we're, like, influencing the state, the laws, Mm -hmm. it's, like, there needs to be a point where you can't let that happen. Right. Well, very, very cheery. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I... Really bringing the mood down (laughs) in this first episode. I, I, I do really hope that we're wrong. Um, and that the justices rule in the correct way, but I, I guess we'll see in the next few months. I hope, like, when the decisions come out in June, I can, like, listen back to this and be like, thank God I was wrong. Exactly, yeah. Um, so, yeah, other than that one Title Seven case, there's a couple other um, major cases on the court that we can just talk about real quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so first, there's a, a case on DACA, which is the... Um, Obama-era protection for Dreamers, people that came to the U.S. Um, as, as young children, uh, and the Trump administration is trying to get rid of the program. Um, so this is like administrative law, which is very technical and kind of boring, <laughs> but basically they're saying that the Trump administration didn't offer uh, adequate justification for getting rid of this regulation. Yeah. Um, so that's one major 
case. Uh, another one is one on abortion rights. So it's called Gee versus June Medical Services. Um, so it's uh, about a Louisiana law which requires doctors performing abortions to have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals, which is a pretty high standard to have, especially yeah. in rural areas. It's harder because I think there's a, a certain like radius that the hospital has to be within. Um, yeah. And so the opponents say that this is posing an undue burden that, you know, does nothing to protect women's health. Yeah, I think I saw, like, in one of the articles about this, it would leave a single doctor in a single clinic authorized. In, in all of Louisiana. In, like, which is a state of over 4.5 million people. Yeah. So you have a single doctor trying, even if, like, you say, like, women are only half that population, that's still a, a couple million people who have to go to a single doctor. Yeah. So... On, on this case, you know, this is what I was sort of talking about earlier with, with Chief Justice Roberts. Um, I think, I don't think he's going to use this case to come out and say that, you know, Roe v. Wade is overturned. I don't think he, he's that, you know, I think he believes that that should be the case, but I don't think he would do that because he knows if that came down, if that ruling came down, that a lot of people would be very angry with the yeah. court and, you know, it's a, it's a threat to the court's legitimacy. But what I do see is sort of, you know, this idea of, like, slowly chipping away at it. Like, saying, oh, you know, it's not completely banning abortion, so it's okay. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's, sort of, that's sort of how I see that case going. Um, another big one is called New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus the City of New York. Um, so this one is a Second Amendment case about... Uh, so New York City passed a law which required gun owners, uh, basically they could only take their guns to these seven different shooting ranges within the city and nowhere else. So they weren't allowed to, you know, take it to New Jersey at a shooting range there or, you know, Connecticut. Um, even if they, oops, <laughs> even if they were locked and unloaded. And so it was challenged as an infringement on Second Amendment rights. Um so this could be a chance for the court to expand even further Second Amendment uh, rights for people to own guns. Uh, however, they might just dismiss the case because New York City, knowing that it was going to get challenged, actually repealed the law. And then New York State passed a law that said those kind of laws aren't allowed in New York. Yeah. So the court is also might just dismiss it because it's no longer right. a, a law. Yeah. Um, and so finally, there is one case, um, about states giving aid or states banning aid, I should say, from religious schools. Um, so this one's coming out from Montana, um, in the state constitution there says that government money cannot be used to aid religious groups. And so basically, uh, three mothers wanted scholarships from a state program to send their kids to a, a Christian school. And they've sued and said that the state constitution is violating the U.S. constitution, um, saying that's violating their religious freedom and equal protection. Obviously, there's other cases, but th those are some of the, the highlights yeah. of this term. And I think, you know, this is the, the first full term with Justice Kavanaugh on the court. And, you know, there's a lot of data that shows your freshman term, you don't really do a lot because you don't want to rock the boat, especially if you come in like Justice Kavanaugh had with <laughs> so much controversy surrounding yeah. your appointment. 
Um, so I think this is the first real term where we get to see what Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh is going to be like on the court. Because last term, he was fairly quiet, sort of yeah. voted moderately, like 50-50 liberal conservative. And this term has so many major cases that we're actually going to see his jurisprudence take shape. It feels like they're all very relevant right now. Like, if you look at, like, DACA, which, like, we've been arguing about since it was implemented. Right. And, like, Trump has been trying to repeal since he got into office. Or, like, the with the abortion rights question, like, the past couple of years or however long, um, like, several states have passed very restrictive abortion bills. Like, they, you talk about, like, the heartbeat bills. Right. Which, like, would enact laws saying that you can't have an abortion before most people know that they're pregnant. So, like, enacting these bills sort of, it seems, in the hope to get one up to the Supreme Court to challenge Roe v. Wade. Right. Or, like... You know, like, the Second Amendment rights when, like, sort of, like, the gun violence movement has come into such prominence, especially after, like, the Parkland shooting and, like, the March for Our Lives. But, like, just all of them feel so relevant culturally right now, and it feels like all of these decisions are going to be very, like, important for sort of, like, where the country is going for the next, like, decade. Yeah. I'm in a uh, class about the Supreme Court right now. And we're actually going to D.C. over spring break to listen to oral arguments for a case. It's an immigration case, not the DACA mm-hmm. one. But I'm just, like, super excited to see, like, what it's actually like to be yeah. in the court while, while it's going on. So we're going to end today with uh, a little bit of a, a trivia quiz on um, the Supreme Court and, you know, what Americans think of the Supreme Court. So, I feel like I'm going to do really bad. Like, all right, well, we have, it's only five questions. Ready so. to humiliate me. All, all right, right, so in 2018, C-SPAN did a poll uh, about the Supreme Court. So what percentage of Americans can name at least one justice? So A, 37%, B, 48%, or C, 11%? Just one? At least one. At least one. What percentage can name at least one? I don't know if I want to, like, go with my gut instinct or, like, have a little bit more faith in American people. What I will say, all of these numbers are below 50%. Yeah. <laughs> um, 37. No, it's 48. Okay. That's, like, better, that's better than I was expecting. I was very surprised. I was honestly that. expecting it to be 11. And I honestly think it would be up since then because that was before the Kavanaugh hearings. That's true. So the, actually, the next question. So which of the current justices were the most well-known? Chief Justice John Roberts, Clarence Thomas, or Ruth Bader Ginsburg? RBG. Yeah. So <laughs> she, say, That's probably the one. So okay. she is, like, far and away the most recognized justice. Um, and so now with the Kavanaugh hearings, that was, like, a moment in American politics. Yeah. So I'm betting, actually, that these numbers go up. Yeah, I definitely couldn't name all nine, so... <laughs> oh, man, I totally could. So... Speaking of RBG, she has a nickname called the Notorious RBG. Yeah. Um, and so there was a documentary made about it, all this stuff. Which of her dissenting opinions is the one that earned her that nickname? Bush v. Gore, which is, you know, obviously the big case about the presidential election in 2000. Yeah. Hobby Lobby, which is the case about birth control for uh, employees. Or Shelby County v. Holder, which is where a conservative majority stripped part of the Voting Rights Act away. 
Which of her fiery descents earned her the nickname? Oh, that's hard. Um, I want to say the third one. It is. It's yes. Shelby County. Yeah. So it was a, a Yale law student, I believe, basically had a blog analyzing all of RBG's like amazing descents because she's been in the minority of the court for a long time. Yeah. Um, that that opinion is very. You know, strongly worded, as strongly worded as Supreme Court opinions are, but yeah. that that earned her a cult following. <laughs> so currently, the court does not televise their coverage of oral arguments. Um, it's audio recorded, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what percentage of Americans in that poll think that the court should have televised oral arguments? Is it sixty-four percent, thirty-two percent, or eight percent? I want to say 64. Yes. Yeah. So that's actually, I think, a really good thing because I think that's a very valuable reform. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I was hoping it'd be a majority of people because that's, I think, could be something that's really, not that, like, very many people ever tune into C-SPAN for anything, (laughs) but I think, yeah, having having video rather than just audio is definitely helpful. Yeah. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. So finally, to end today... What percentage of Americans approved of the job that the Supreme Court or that the Supreme Court is doing? Is it twenty three percent, fifty four percent, or seventy seven percent? What year was this poll? Twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Right before the Kavanaugh hearings. What were the numbers again? Twenty three percent, fifty four percent, seventy seven percent. Fifty four. Yes. Wow, you did really well. I'm really surprised. Was that that all five? No, you got the first one wrong, right? Yeah, you said 37 on the first one. All right, four out of five. That's pretty good. I'm pretty proud of that. I'm I'm impressed. (laughs) But yeah, so thank you for coming on, talking to me. This was really great. Your article is awesome. Thank you. Um, If anyone's listening, you should definitely go read it. It's on our website. Um, I'm looking forward to the next time we speak, and I will talk to all of you next time.